kingdom of evil will wage war against the kingdom of righteousness until the Son of Man returns. That's the way it's going to be. This is war until the Ancient of Days sends the Son of Man to retrieve His people. first was like a lion and had eagle's wings and then I looked and its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it verse 5 and behold another beast a second one like a bear was raised up on one side it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told arise devour much flesh so there's the second beast the second beast would coincide with the kingdom of the silver arms which was the Medo-Persian kingdom, the one that is about, when Daniel receives this vision, is about to come and take over Babylon in about 10 years. So the bear coincides with that one. And in a similar way, just like silver is stronger than gold, but less valuable than gold, so also is the bear stronger than the lion, but is also less majestic than the lion. It's more of a lumbering type of... Remember, this is, this is a picture book. We can't take the details and press them too far. It's like a parable. You you can't press a parable too far. In the same way with these prophetic visions, this is an image that God wants us to see. This image of this majestic lion, but there then comes this stronger, sort of less majestic bear. And the bear, we're told, has these three ribs in his mouth like he has just eaten some sort of animal. So this is the Medo-Persian kingdom, which was, again, stronger than the Babylonian kingdom, bigger than the Babylonian kingdom, lasted longer than the Babylonian kingdom, but not as valuable, so to speak, as the Babylonian kingdom. So it's said that it's, he's on one side. That could mean that that's a reference to the fact that the Medo-Persian empire was not an equal empire. The Persians were stronger than the Medes, and so it wasn't a, it wasn't a 50-50 collaboration. It could refer to that. Or it could re- refer to something else that, that I'll come back to in just a little bit. But then there's, there's these three ribs in the mouth. Some people think, well, that might refer to the fact that the Medo-Persian Empire defeated three kingdoms. First, they defeated the Babylonian kingdom. Second, they defeated the Egyptian kingdom. And then third, they defeated the kingdom of a kingdom by the name of Lydia, which is present-day Turkey. So it could refer to that. Other commentators say, no, we shouldn't see any correlation. That just means that the beast was strong and bloodthirsty and just devoured other nations, so to speak. Okay, so then continuing on, we're in verse 6. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. So there's the third beast. The third beast is this leopard now with four wings on it. And this would refer to the bronze center part of the statue, which is going to correlate to the kingdom of Greece that is to come. Now, at this point, Daniel will die and never know anything about what this part of the vision meant, because he'll never know anything about the kingdom of Greece. But this is the third beast, which corresponds to the bronze, which was stronger than both the silver and the gold. The, the, the kingdom of Greece lasted longer, and it was stronger than the previous two kingdoms. Now here we're shown this picture of a, of a leopard, which is a very fast animal with four heads, but it's also got four wings on it as well. 
And so most scholars see that and they think, well, that's probably referring to the, the, the speed of the Greek Empire. If you know anything, if you remember anything about world history, ancient world history from school, then you remember that's what the Greek Empire was. It was incredibly fast. Something like 334 B.C., Alexander the Great comes to power, and within 10 years, he had conquered Asia Minor and gone into Asia proper and North Africa and elsewhere. It was, historians say it's unparalleled, absolutely stunning, the speed at which he conquered territory. But then he also died very young. He died at like 32 with no heirs. And so after he died, his kingdom was split between his four generals. And some say, well, that's the four heads. Others say, no, it's just, it's uh, not the four heads. It's just, it's just a thing. So the fourth, ki- or the third kingdom is this kingdom. Of- now, chapter eight is all about the third kingdom, the kingdom of Greece. And in chapter eight, the beast changes to a ram. So that once again, there's an illustration there. That these are just pictures. These are just pictures for us. The kingdom is not a leopard, and it's not a. Le- these are just pictures. These are images in which God is communicating something to us in picture format. So, chapter eight. If you were to do a study of chapter eight, you would find incredibly stunning information given about the Greek Empire in chapter eight. But we're in chapter seven now. So, continuing on from verse seven. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Now, this beast is not going to be given a name. This beast is so terrible that there's nothing on earth to compare it to. Can't compare it to a bear or, or a, a mama cub robbed of, or mama bear robbed of her cubs or a, a badger or a lion or anything. There's nothing on earth to compare this kingdom to. So it's just called a terrible beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, which corresponds to the iron legs of Nebuchadnezzar's vision. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, great things is a little bit of a confusing translation. It's, I think that the translators are trying to be too literal there. That's literally what it says. But great things can mean a couple different things, can it? Right now I'm preaching God's Word, and so in a sense I'm saying great things. That's not the sense here. This is great things in the sense of pompous, arrogant, great things about myself. So immediately we see the connection. We're told that the Antichrist will be one who speaks pompous things against God, arrogant things against God. So here comes this fourth beast, and this fourth beast so terrible, devouring, stamping, just this death machine. And then there's these four horns, I mean, sorry, these Ten horns that come from it, and then another horn which uproots three of the horns later. So this beast would correspond to the iron legs and clay legs of Nebuchadnezzar's vision, which corresponds to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, again, was by far the strongest of the four. It was the first empire to reach literally sea to sea. The expanse of territory that it conquered was amazing, and the length of time that it held it 
was equally amazing. So the strength of this Roman Empire was unequaled with the, any of the other empires. But here is a question. I, I didn't address this question before because I intentionally wanted to, to come to it in chapter 7. But it's the same question that faces us in, in chapter 2 as well as chapter 7. Here's the question. The vision is telling of events from Nebuchadnezzar, which was the first king of the kingdom of evil, up until the return of Jesus. But the kingdom stopped with Rome. So how are we to understand what happens after Rome falls? How are we to understand where we're living now? It's not like there's a succession of more beasts. So what, what is... What was Nebuchadnezzar's vision saying to us about our time? And what is Daniel's vision saying to us about our time? Because the kingdoms seem to stop at Rome and the Roman Empire is no more. The Roman Empire is a figure, is a type of all of the kingdoms of evil that will follow. And that's what the ten horns mean. The ten horns speak to us of successive kingdoms that will succeed one another on and on and on and on until the little horn disrupts some of them and comes to power, which then ushers in the return of Christ. So we shouldn't understand the ten horns as meaning exactly ten. A lot of times we look for Ten kingdom, ten, ten toes, ten horns, so therefore ten kingdoms. And almost certainly ten just means a number of a lot. A number of complete, a, a lot of kingdoms, right? It's interesting, once again, that when we try to make a picture book say more than it's saying, we can sometimes get into trouble. Uh, a lot of people, uh, a number, what, maybe 20 years ago, a lot of people started to see the ten horns in the European Union. You may have heard, you remember this? A lot of people started to see the ten horns in the European Union because the European Union started as seven, then it was eight, then it was nine, and then for a long time it was ten. And then the UK wanted to join. And people were like, wait a minute, that's going to mess up our prophecy because then it'll be eleven. No, no, we don't see it as, we see it as a picture of succeeding kingdoms of evil on and on and on. All of them coming from the type that Rome was. Which was to say, ghastly, beastly, violent, waging war against the saints. Every kingdom of man, from the perspective of God, is a beast. Now that's not to say that all kingdoms of man are equally beastly. Thank God for the graces shown to us in the kingdom of America. But from God's perspective, the kingdom of America is another beast that wages war against His saints that will one day fall. And that one day is when the little horn comes and it disrupts three of the others, which just says to us that the Antichrist will then take over a a big portion of of the kingdoms of the earth at that time, and then will come the return of the Son of Man, which we will talk about next week. So those are the four beasts. But here's a couple of other things to see about the four beasts before we go to the angel's interpretation of the four beasts. 
The first thing to see about these four beasts is how all of them are attempting in some way to be like a man. Did you notice that? The lion is made to stand like a man and given the mind of a man. The little horn is given the mouth of a man and tries to speak like a man. The bear, we're told in our translation, is on its side, but another translation could be on its back or hind legs as if it's standing up in in an attempt to be like a man. So, So the beasts in some way And this will really, I just want to sort of plant this seed. This will be a big part of what we talk about next week. But all of the beasts, in one way or another, are trying to be like a man. And ironically, here's the first passage in Scripture in which we're told about one who was like the Son of Man. So that's going to help us to understand some things about the kingdom of evil and our Messiah next week. But the second thing to see about all the beasts is how all of the beasts were specifically told that all of the beasts are not all-powerful in and of themselves. Take a look at the language. You may have missed the language, but Daniel wants to make this clear. Just take a look, first of all, the the lion. The lion, I'm in verse 4, was lifted up. That's passive. Or was given. Verse 5, the bear was raised up. Verse uh, 6, dominion was given to it. So all three of those beasts were specifically told that their power was not their own. It was given to them. Reminds us, doesn't it, of in the Revelation, I think it's on the back page of your notes, in which we're told authority was given to it. Power was given that it would reign over the saints. So here these beasts are given the power to stand up. They're given a mind. They're told to devour. They're told to eat. Except the last beast. The last beast, it's really hard to see that that beast is not omnipotent. That's why that beast is called of a different kind. Here is what takes place in heaven. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. What do you notice? Don't you notice that there is just chaos on earth? I mean, literally, all hell has broken loose on earth. And then you see this picture of the throne room, and the Ancient of Days is on his throne. And as we're going to see in the next verse, he's being worshipped. Isn't that two contrasting pictures? That all hell has broken loose on earth, but you look into the throne room, and the Ancient of Days is on his throne, and he's being worshipped, and he's not surprised. Now, verse 10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousand, thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Now, what would that have meant to Daniel? Ten thousands of ten thousands are serving him. You think Daniel ever felt alone? You think Daniel ever felt like he was the only one toe in the line? But here he gets this vision. No, 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 Daniel. 10,000 times 10,000 
are serving Him right now. Verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, these pompous, arrogant words against the Most High. And as I looked, the beast was killed. Its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. So there we're reminded, of course, of the final destruction of the Antichrist. Revelation 19, and then I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army and the beast was captured and thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So that parallels here the destruction of the fourth beast. As the rest of the beast, as, I, as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were not prolonged, or I'm sorry, their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So the beast is killed, but the other beasts continue to live. We should remember here that End times prophecy, they're, they're rarely completely chronological. So this is not necessarily a chronological recounting here. Now verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit in me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. That's a common theme in Daniel. How many times has somebody been alarmed by a vision? I approached one of those who stood there and asked him. So there's this angelic being in the vision. Daniel approaches to ask him, asked him the truth concerning all this. So Daniel goes to the angelic being and says, what does this mean? So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Now here's the interpretation. Daniel says, what's all this stuff mean? Here's what he's told. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. (laughs) There's your prophecy, Daniel. All these details, you'll know them when they happen, but here's what you're to know. What you are to know is that these are four kings that are beasts of the earth. They arise out of the earth. They're going to wage war against the Most High, but the the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. Now, verse 19, Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast. So Daniel still, I want to know more. I mean, he's curious, right? Notice how both of the visions spent the bulk of the time talking about the fourth. The bulk of Nebuchadnezzar's vision was about the legs of clay and iron. And by far, the bulk of Daniel's vision is about the fourth beast. So Daniel still wants to know about the the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke into pieces and stamped that which was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before, before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. And I looked... This horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. So that's a parallel for us of Revelation chapter 13 where we're told that all authority was, or the authority was given over for the beast to reign and to defeat. The Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast... There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which should be, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. 
Remember the pompous words of the Antichrist? He shall speak words against the Most High. Now, where is Daniel right now? Daniel, when he receives this vision, there's about 10 more years left in Belshazzar's reign. At the end of Belshazzar's reign, what else also ends? The exile. So the exile is over. At the point of this vision, the exile is almost ready to be over. And in just a few short years, it will be. What might Daniel have been thinking? We made it. We made it through that terrible thing. It wasn't fun, but we've made it. Now, things will be better. And what's the vision saying to him? No, they won't. In fact, what the vision is saying to him is this. The kingdom of evil will wage war against the kingdom of righteousness until the Son of Man returns. That's the way it's going to be. There's not going to be this time of easiness and relaxation. This is war until the Ancient of Days sends the Son of Man to retrieve His people. So Daniel's thoughts perhaps were, glad we made it through that. Now we can look forward to some easier times and the vision is here to correct that. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Remember last week we talked about the theme of harassing the kingdom of evil, evil harassing the kingdom of good. Now that term wear out, that's a strong term. And it just speaks of just this constant warfare, this never-ending Warfare, this never-ending violence that the kingdom of evil has always portrayed against the kingdom of righteousness and always will. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. Now we've been told earlier in chapter 2, remember when Daniel was praying that prayer of thanks for God revealing Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him? And you remember how Daniel prayed to God, you are the one who changes seasons. Now we're told that the kingdom of evil, the little horn, is going to say, I'm the one that's going to change seasons. I'm the one that's going to change times. In fact, all the horns want to do that. All of the horns try to change the seasons and try to change the signs, or change the times. What that means is the kingdom of evil opposes the kingdom of God on every front they possibly can. Everything that God establishes, the kingdom of evil wants to beat it down. Even down to the most basic thing of establishing the seasons and the times. The kingdom of evil says, we oppose even that. Anybody remember anything from history about the French Revolution? The French Revolution, don't get confused, it was nothing like the American Revolution. The French Revolution was pagan to its core. It was secular to its core. And it was all about ridding the French society of all aspects of Christianity. And so there was the killing of priests. There was the pillaging of the cathedrals and the church's property. But also, you know what else they did? They changed the week to a 10-day week. So for a period of a couple of years there, France, France had a 10-day week. Why? Because God established a seven-day week. I read not too long ago that the North Korea, with the birth of the first Kim Jong-un, whatever the name is there, they started their years over. They're now in year something like 112. 
Now, that's not to say that, oh, North Korea is the Antichrist or, or the French Revolution was the Battle of Armageddon. That is to say, the kingdom of evil has always said, we will oppose the kingdom of God every way we can. This is the transgender revolution. You know this. We've, we've talked about this in Daniel's book multiple times. This is the transgender revolution where the kingdom of evil says we will oppose God every way that we can, even in declaring what gender someone is, even declaring what day of the week it is, even declaring what year it is, we will oppose the kingdom of God every way that we can. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.